You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Kyle Winkler, great to have you on Real Faith Stories. Welcome. Thank you, Brian. It is an honor to be with you today. I am really looking forward to hearing your personal story and how Jesus showed up and radically made a transformation in your life. And so I'm just going to ask you to please share some of your backstory, and then let's dive into that and talk about it. Sure. As far back as I can remember, the dominant feeling that I had was that I was somebody who didn't belong. I mean, we're, we're talking about like a toddler. And so I just felt like an outcast. I think that I felt like everybody was judging me, especially my peers. Like I was an outsider looking into peers that I just was not one of. So I thought that everybody saw that. So that created a whole lot of insecurity in me. It created a whole lot of shame in me. I felt like I was someone who was wrong because of it. And there's a lot of social anxiety that came with it, as you might be able to imagine. And that caused me to be a preschool dropout. I always tell people, I hope that doesn't disqualify me in anybody's <laughs> minds there. But I was so shy that I begged my mommy to let me drop out of my first year of preschool. I went and I finally graduated second year. But my point there then is I didn't graduate from the insecurity and the shame and everything that came from that. In kindergarten, first grade, they actually thought that I had a reading problem because of the shyness that called me to read out loud. And I'd just sit in my desk and I'd freeze. Mm. And so they put me in a special bus for reading help because they thought that my freezing up was me not being able to read. And it wasn't that at all. It was just that I was so shy and timid and really paralyzed by fear. But nobody wanted to be friends with the kid that didn't talk. And certainly nobody wanted to be friends with the kid that couldn't put the bat on the ball or the foot on the ball or anything to do with the ball. And so I was the one that was chosen last for just about everything. Wow. Like PE teams and group projects and sometimes sitting alone at the lunch table. I remember recess. We had 15 minute outside recesses a couple times a day. And often I would hide in this little cubby hole outside in the building. It was kind of a notch in the building because I didn't want people to see me in the embarrassment of having nobody to play with. Let me pause there, Kyle. I'm astonished at the pain that you are aware of, even in preschool. You know, there's a lot of people I speak with that preschool's not even in their mind. They don't even have a reference point for it, right? So why do you suppose that was so emblazoned in your memory when, in fact, that's quite unusual? Right. Well, even science and psychology will tell us that the more experiential something is, that the more that it gets ingrained into your mind. It's part of the process that we know of in neuroscience called pathways. And sadly, because of our fallen world, I believe the the more negative the experience is, the more you feel it, the more that it gets ingrained in your mind too. And therefore, the more you remember it. And sadly, therefore, the more it affects your thinking and it affects how you see things. And so in my story, in elementary and even into junior high years, because of this, what ended up being really an identity of rejection that was put on me, because of all of those ways that I at least felt deeply rejected, it caused me throughout school and even into my early adult years, it caused me to see rejection in places that it didn't really exist. Sometimes when I teach about this, I wear these big rejection glasses, if you can imagine that. They're colored lenses, and it says reject 
on the top because that's kind of the way it is, is it's like rejection gets put on you like these big lenses that color the way you see everything. So I saw rejection, as I said, in places where it didn't really exist. I heard it. Mm-hmm. I took offense in words that weren't really offensive because there were all these triggers that would remind me of things that rejected me in the past, that would remind me of things that were said about me in the past, that even the thought of something similar or the sound of something similar would take me back to that place. And I would feel that hurt all over again and just keep reliving it and reliving it and reliving it. And sadly, it also becomes self-defeating and almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because you end up getting rejected because you expect to be rejected. And so you kind of act awkward and and mm. that gets you rejected all the more. And that was so much of my junior high high school years and continued through a real hurt and a fear of it throughout my early adult life. Wow. What was it that happened that caused the shift in your life away from that? Definitely the the big catalyst began at 16 years old. And I was raised in a very devout denomination. I knew of Jesus having died for my sins. I knew of his resurrection. Our family was very religious. I also always thought God was nothing more really than a taskmaster. And so my perception of God was just that he was kind of this plaster of Paris statue that was hanging on a cross in the front of the church with an awful scowl looking like he was going to zap me dead for my every mistake. Mm. But at 16 years old, I'm going to a public school at this point. I had gone to a church school up until that point, but sophomore year public school, and I get exposed to some people that weren't part of the faith that I grew up in. And they invited me to a youth group meeting and it was a Wednesday night. And I came up with some excuses beforehand or why not to go, why my mom said I couldn't go or whatever. I was afraid, but yet I wanted to go, but yet I was afraid to go. And finally, I ran out of excuses and I walked into this was a non-denominational church, January 2001, and I heard about Jesus spoken of and demonstrated in in a way that I never knew that he existed, in a powerful way, in a personal way, not as somebody who was mad at me or ready to zap me dead, but as somebody that was interested in my life, as somebody that I could actually have a relationship with, and as somebody that had power for my life. So that I always describe as just just walking in, really, to that building. I'll, I'll never forget it. Walking in was really a first sense of hope for me, that things could be different for me. And what I started to learn there, now I was not allowed because of my family's faith. I was not allowed to go there on Sunday services. I could only go to youth group meetings and special events that weren't considered worship services. But in what I got, I started to develop a personal faith, a personal relationship with the Lord. I started to learn about my identity in Christ from principles of God's word. That was huge. And that started to grow a boldness in me because I just, if there was one principle that I got fairly early on was that God's word was more real than what I feel. And I started learning truths, the Bible saying in Ephesians that I am accepted in the beloved. Well, I felt rejected, but here God is saying in his word that I am accepted. So I was taught that that is my ultimate reality. And I started to believe that. It started to get into my mind enough to where I was at least starting to break out of my shell at that point. So the word of God really had a huge effect on everything you started thinking about yourself. Undoubtedly. Huge effect. I I can't overstate the power of the word of God in my life and really just learning a process of 
thinking on it and speaking it. And over time, whether I felt like it or not, I started to identify with what the Word of God said about my new identity. And that was kind of the first level of things to where I was growing in boldness. I even started to take leadership opportunities in the church that I was a part of, in the youth group that I was a part of. I I got to be invited into something called teens and leadership training. And so this was just radically different from where I was because I used to run away from everything and I would quit everything that I started. I mean, I quit baseball and I quit basketball. And I remember running out of the hospital one time when I had to get a surgery. I quit Boy Scouts. I, I, at one point I was in piano lessons and I quit that. I mean, everything I was quitting because I never felt good enough. It was that insecurity in me. And this was the first time that I was actually taking opportunities to be in leadership and be in front of people. So there was a real healing and a real growth that started to happen for sure. And the word of God is at the root of it. So it started with that scripture in Ephesians. Yeah. And then when did you start to confess those words and start to speak them out loud? When did that become part of your walk with the Lord? The church that I went to, they would teach that. That was definitely a big part of of what they would teach. And so at first, I would just do it not really knowing. I mean, early on, we're talking about in the first probably couple years of me being there, I would learn about it and I would do it at least go through the motions. And there is, because the word of God does not return void, there is a power in that, although I don't think it takes you all the way and it didn't take me all the way. I mean, there was a process for the next five, even 10 years to where I was walking this stuff out. But definitely early on in the first couple of years, I was starting to learn the principle of speaking God's word and thinking God's word in that I heard just to do it hmm. and just to try it. And so I did. I would take take those verses, like that one in Ephesians, Second Corinthians 5.21 was always a good one for me, though I didn't really know exactly what it meant. But he who knew no sin took on my sin, so I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I heard that one a lot. And I would just say it, not knowing what it meant, really, but <laughs> I would just speak those words. And at least something started to happen through that. So at that time in your life, between the ages of, say, 16 to 19, 20, did yeah. you have some sense of direction with respect to where you wanted to go vocationally? Yeah. So, and there was a tug of war inside of me over this because one thing that I was always good at, and it was it really fit me well as kind of, as kind of a, a loner, is I tinkered with the family computer all the time. And I had older brothers, and so we had a computer for them to use when they were in high school, and they were much older than me. And so they would play games and word processing on it, but I would start to learn how to do command lines. And when the internet came out, when I was like in junior high, maybe seventh grade, shortly after I convinced my parents to get it, I start, started to learn how to code websites and all these things that I could do, just me, myself, and I. And so I was even professionally employed in high school as a web developer. Wow. But at the same time, then I get born again and I started to have this, this desire for ministry in me and for the truth of God's word, I guess is the best way that I knew it at that time for exposing the truth of God's word. And it seemed just as innate in me as my computer savviness. To say that your computer savviness was just as innate as you wanting to speak the word and talk about the word. Yeah, yeah. Or the Word of God was felt just as innate in me as my interest in computers. 
from childhood, right? Like it was, there was a passion in me that was, that was really bubbling up as I was learning God's word, starting to learn about my identity in Christ. And as I was seeing it demonstrated from the pulpit, I was starting to get this sense. And it's hard to describe how you know, except you know. Mm-hmm. I was starting to get the sense that maybe this is something that I'm called to do. And it was a battle at home, and that's a separate story, but because of the devoutness of my family and the denomination, and I kind of went and broke the old family tradition, mm-hmm. and I thought they'd be happy of me growing in the faith, and they weren't happy with me growing in the faith. They thought it was a sin that I was worshiping outside of another, outside of their church and all of these things. And and in my newfound boldness, I started to shove down their throats what I thought they were wrong about everything. So certainly, I was overzealous in certain ways, too. But That turned out well, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's right. Yeah. The stories that I could tell on certain things like that, that, that for a long while didn't serve me well. But I will say that though I started to sense a call to ministry, I guess is the best way that you could put it at 17, definitely 18 years old. And I started to take opportunities. Even I, I organized a conference at our public school at that point. I mean, so things were really changing in me. Hugely. I joined a group in the public school that was called Youth Alive, and it was a Christian group that met before school started, like at breakfast time or something like that. And so helped organize that and helped organize this this conference where an apologist came in and spoke, and, it, and some things started really radically changing because I did. I, I started to take positions and started to put myself out in front of people in ways I never would have before. And so my parents saw that, of course, and I think they saw this leaning towards ministry, but they weren't going to have anything of it at the time. And so they basically required me to go to to college and get a a practical degree, which I did. And I was happy to do because I did still enjoy computers. But I went and got my undergrad in a computer-related field, all the while still, though, pursuing my passion of biblical studies and the truth of God's word. And I went to a Christian undergrad, and I enjoyed those Bible classes probably more than even my computer classes because that's just where I was and just where I wanted to go at that point in time. And even I will say this, this would have been right at the end of my high school years. There was a Sunday night service that I went to and there was this man that was coming in from out of town. I'd never been exposed to anything like this, didn't know what it was going to be like, but he had a prophetic ministry. And I didn't know how well-known he was at the time, but one thing that he did is he would pick people out of a crowd and have them stand up, and he would, without having a Bible in his hands, he would thread together Bible verses that would come to his mind into this word for people. And there I was at 17 years old, and he picks me out of the back of the congregation, and I'm (laughs) shaking in my boots because I don't know what's about to happen. I'm thinking, is he going to expose my every sin in front of this whole crowd? There were some things I didn't want exposed, you know, but he didn't do that. And he spoke into me something that really affirmed what I was starting to sense, but yet was very radically different than where I was before. He said, Kyle, God says you're going to have a released articulation of freedom of speech you've never had before. You're going to have a boldness with words a wisdom beyond your years and vocabulary beyond your education. And then he went on and and he closed it by saying, you're going to be the church yacker. And I mean, totally opposite. Here I was afraid to talk for so many years and shy and insecure and so socially anxious. And now he's he's calling me out as going to be the church yacker and saying that I'm going to have this bold voice and and all of these scriptures that he used to back that up. 
it was radically different, as I said, from where I was. But yet at the same time, I felt like I think this may be true. There was a sense in me that was this is what I'm starting to feel too. And this was a first Hmm. sense of affirmation that really caused me at that point to step out even more. Yeah. How affirming. So when you graduated from college, had it already been settled in your heart that you weren't going to do the computer thing, you were going to do the yakking thing? (laughs) Yeah, it had been. It had been settled in my heart, but I didn't, I don't think I told my family, although they may have think they probably saw it coming. They were constantly trying to persuade me out of that, I think, and always, always, you know, just wondering, well, how could you ever make money that way? And and they just had couldn't fathom that in their denomination and things like that. But I was taking every opportunity that I could to prepare myself to learn. And and here's the thing that, and this is where it kind of messed me up for a while, is I felt this sense that this is what God was going to call me to do. Now I have this prophetic affirmation, but there's still a lot in me that I feel is in the way from God being able to use me in this. I'm still not the extrovert that I thought that I needed to be in order for that to happen. I still am getting triggered by a lot of things. I'm still dealing with sometimes weeks of mind games that would happen over somebody saying a certain word Mm -hmm. or me experiencing something. And I'm still dealing with certain sins and things like that, that I thought certainly God can't use somebody that deals with all this kind of stuff. So what that ended up doing to me is it really put me on a course for a whole lot of legalism for a while in the sense that I didn't have much love for me. So I didn't have a whole lot of love for other people. And I thought God was requiring all of this stuff of me then to do and to fix and to change and to grow in order to be ready. So I thought he was calling everybody else to that too. And so I started making sure everybody knew it and and helping them through it and all of that. But it it just, for, for well into my probably up till my upper 20s, really. I strived ultimately to be something that God already said that I was, and ultimately trying to prove something that Jesus already proved and do something that he already did, because I felt like God's requiring all of this of me in order to be ready for this big calling that he's got for me. So I have got to be serious and disciplined about this. And as I said, that messed me up too. And I had to work my way out of that. That's why my journey today or to today, like I think a lot of people's is, is really a journey of stages. It's yeah. it's really God God pulling me out of one thing and then the next thing and the next thing. And that's probably how it's going to be really from here to eternity. I would say we're always learning and we're always growing. But after I overcame that shyness, I mean, the next thing that I really had to overcome was the sense of performance Christianity, for sure. Well, let's talk about that. The point you just made that everything you needed, God had already given to you. Yeah. And whatever it was inside that was causing you to grind and perform, what was it that broke that in your life? Mm. It was another encounter. And... I'll I'll just go back a little bit into the story here to to give people a backdrop for how this came about. So after I graduated high school and, and then I went to college and then that was what I call my holiness police phase <laughs> where I was just just making sure everybody was living up to standards including myself. I went to work for a huge ministry after that, a large church ministry, one of the 15 largest in the country at the time. This had been 2006-2007 time frame. Like I said, this was just part of me working behind the scenes to try to get ready. Yeah. 
and follow this path. And I was spiritual and everything. I mean, I was I was just in church all the time, m- literally Monday through Sunday. I was working in the church and then in, in a church building that evening too. And so just doing everything that I could. And then in 2007, I got an opportunity to be part of a, a ministry that played a big part in my high school years, moved to Pensacola, Florida. This was an apologetics ministry. And really there were some things that happened that they really needed help rebuilding some stuff. And so I went at like 22 years old to help rebuild them. And I grew into being the second in charge of the ministry and got a lot of experience, no doubt, a lot of experience out of that. Went and did my master's of divinity and biblical studies, more experience, more education, more of me getting ready. And I don't minimize any of that. God's used all of that for sure. And there came to be a point in time where things were bubbling up in me from my education, my experience that I needed an outlet. And where I worked, we had we had access to a TV studio. Not many people in their mid-20s had access to that or any age, but I had access to that. So they generously let me use it to start to interview people. And I just started to interview people with profound stories of God's healing and deliverance in their lives. Some of them took on, they really caught on in the early days of YouTube to where now I'm in my late 20s and I'm thinking, okay, this is it. I have figured out how God's going to use me. I'm going to be a voice of God's power. And so I resigned my position after five and a half years. I was vice president of that ministry at the time, resigned my position to start my own ministry. And so here I am now launching out in my own ministry. But my secrets are, as I said, is that I still don't feel like I'm the extrovert I need to be. I'm still being triggered. I still am dealing with these things that I thought I needed to overcome in order to be used by God. And so a month into ministry, I get triggered into this this what I kind of call a demonic warfare for at least a week where I was accused of just everything all the way back to childhood. All the reasons why I'd never be good enough, all of the sins. I mean, I was from from pickpocketing the piece of chocolate from the grocery store to taking the Louisville slugger to my neighbor girl's stomach. I mean, all these things wow. in childhood. And but worse than that, that were brought to my attention a month into stepping out were all the so-called secret sins of my adult life. The things that I did after I was saved that the enemy used in this week that said, look what you've done. That's that's kind of the first whisper I remember. Look what you've done. God can't use you. That was the second thing. You're too far gone. You've messed up. You're not good enough. Leave it to the perfect preachers. Go walk away. Do something else. Shut it all down. That was the third thing. And in that, you know, God never leaves anybody to be the devil's doormat. And I was a doormat for about a week there because I was I was beat down. I thought I wasn't so sure it wasn't God being the one to bring all this up saying, you need to do something different. This isn't for you. You're not good enough. So I was beat to tears. But in preparing for another interview that I was doing, I think a week later, there was a lady that her ministry was all about the cross. Like she had a retreat center out in Alabama and she would she would just minister about the cross. And so I was reading her book to prepare for that interview. And the timing of God is just so awesome. Yeah. But there was there was a verse in there that I had read many times before through seminary and through my own Bible study. I knew it. I'd read over it. It's John 1, 29. It's John the Baptist when Jesus is coming for his baptism. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that verse there, I'll never forget being at the time in my apartment, living room on the couch, reading that, weeping from the weight of all the accusations and condemnation and guilt. Reading that verse and that word, behold, gripped me. Because it's it's not a quick glance, it's a close study. Mm. It's a real meditating on, it's a real seeing. Behold the lamb. And, you know, if I can sneak a, a teach in here, the lamb in the Bible is is the thing that represents Jesus the most. 
he's called a lamb more than any other representation, more than a lion, more than the bridegroom. He's called a lamb because a lamb is the representation of freedom and deliverance and healing and atonement for God's people. So suddenly I was I was beholding Jesus as a lamb. And with my mind's eye, like I saw it. I I saw him filleted there on the altar of the earth as all of the stuff that was being held over my head went from being over me to being on him mm. 2,000 years ago. And God said, as I was on the floor there weeping, I want you to get up off the floor and I want you to make a list of all the things that were hanging over your head. And at first I'm thinking, what are you wanting me to do? Make a list of all this stuff and hang it on a wall to stay forever conscious of it? But I did it. I made a list of all of the condemnation, the accusations, all the reasons that I was being beat down that week of why I shouldn't be doing this. And then God said, now I want you to draw a cross all over that list. So I drew a cross until that list of my wrongs was covered by the only thing that can cover for your sin and shame, which is the cross of Christ. But covered wasn't enough because that's Old Testament. The Bible says that Jesus canceled our sin. And that's what God showed me in the next thing he had me do. He said, now I want you to rip that piece of paper to shreds. And Colossians 2.14 came to mind, which says that at the cross, Jesus canceled the record of our wrongs, nailed it to the cross. And in doing that, verse 15, he disarmed the power of the enemy. And when I ripped that piece of paper to shreds, I mean, there was no more satisfying rip that I've ever done in my life, but to rip that thing to shreds. And it's I ripped it and ripped it and ripped it until it's confetti at my feet. And I'm telling you, I heard the words of God thunder over me saying, it is finished. Those final words on the cross, like guilt and shame finished. The question of God, does God love you finished? The question of can God use you finished. And I saw those arms of grace stretched out across that cross, ultimately saying, I love you this much. I've always loved you this much. I'll continue to love you this much. You are qualified because of the finished work of the cross. So that's that's when I made the determination, like the joy of the Lord rose up in me. The joy of salvation rose up in me. And I stood up in my living room floor at that point, and I did. I made a declaration, and I said, if the enemy comes back again with all of his accusations and all of his condemnations of past regrets or present struggles, I am going to say, shut up, devil. Second Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin took on my sin, so I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so it's so funny because that verse that I used years ago back 16, 17, that I would just mouth because I heard that's the thing to say. Mm -hmm. I finally got it, like in my late 20s. I finally, I don't know how else to describe it, is I finally, it finally went from my head to my heart. Like I finally got what that meant. Because of the cross 2,000 years ago, I am qualified and nothing can make me unqualified. I am complete in Christ. And that is the day when ultimately, all the junk from rejection and all the stuff that had plagued me for so many years was healed. Mm. And that is the day that my ministry really started. I thought it was starting a month before with another message, but in God's timing and in God's way, he started it with his message. And the rest is kind of history. So when the enemy would come back in and try to lay this garbage on you again, what would you do? What would you say? I would say just that. I would ultimately say, shut up, devil. I'd use the <laughs> word of God. I'd use reminders of the cross. I'd use reminders of the blood. You know, as Revelation twelve eleven says, they have overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And that was one of the scriptures that I used too. That is when I'd really speak scripture. That is when I, I came up with this thing that people know me more now of than my own name sometimes. It's called the shut up devil app. I made it for me. Just 
categorized with all of these different issues, and I put scriptures personalized with personal declarations in there about what they said about those issues. And so I made that app for me, and it just so happens that a lot of other people deal with the same stuff, I've realized. And so now more than a quarter million people have downloaded that app. But it started there with me, there in my living room, understanding what Jesus did to make me right, not what I did or what I could do. For too long, I lived according to what I could do, and I tried to perform, and I tried to discipline myself enough, and I tried to clean myself up enough, and none of it worked. But finally, when I understood the finished work of Jesus, then I found a rest in his grace that really did all the work from there for me. And now all I have to do is renew my mind to the truth of what he did and how much he loves me. You hear it from all corners of the Christian faith that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It doesn't return void. It accomplishes a purpose for which it's sent. And people give mental assent to that. Right. But what I love is it is so much deeper. I love the scripture. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law, God's word, to fail. And going back to your high school experience where you were just, is a perfunctory kind of a thing. I'm just going to say this because yeah. it's the thing I should do. But as you mentioned, you didn't realize the power in it and God was doing something just by speaking it. So with respect to people listening right now that have heard this, so many times you should be declaring the word. What would you recommend in terms of a starting point and how to do that? What does that look like from a practical living it out perspective? Well, I would first say don't wait to feel like doing it. I think a lot of times that's what we wait to feel motivated enough and you're not going to, especially when you need to do it the most, that's when you're not going to feel like doing anything. I mean, you really isolate what you're feeling, what your emotion is. If it is fear, then find a verse about fear, and it's not hard to find. Do a Google search. Download my Shut Up Devil app. There's a category called fear. Look in the back of your printed Bible. There's usually a topical index based on emotions and subjects. So you can easily find a verse about fear. I think 2 Timothy 1.7 is a great one. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Find a verse that speaks to you and think it and say it. And what you're actually doing, what God's doing in the background, I should say, because Romans 12.2 says that God transforms us when we change the way we think, or other versions say, by the renewal of our mind. So it's God is doing a work on the inside of you, because just as you said from the verses that you listed there, Brian, his word does not return void. His word is doing something. But what's really happening, even scientifically, is, as I said at the very beginning of our discussion here, the more experiential something is, the more it gets ingrained in your brain. Well, speaking something makes it especially experiential, more than even just reading it. So when you're speaking, you're actually involving more of your senses. You know, you're, you're saying it, you're hearing it, you're internalizing it, and around and around it goes. So what is happening, even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't even necessarily believe what you're saying at first, when you are speaking a verse related to something that you're dealing with, there is a work scientifically and spiritually that is happening in your brain that is actually reprogramming it so that over time, and I must say that this is not an overnight process, but over time, eventually you look back and you realize, 
wait a minute, I am not the same person I was before. There was really a transformation that happened from the inside out, and I'm not being triggered by the same stuff I was once before. I'm not feeling the same stuff as I was. Like I said, from my story in high school, I would mouth these things, not knowing exactly what I was mouthing and not always feeling like anything was working until I look back two years later and now I'm organizing conferences. And three years later, I'm taking opportunities to speak in front of people. And four years later, you know, things are changing as I'm looking back in hindsight. I love it. So just get a word, take a word and start to declare it and think about what it means for you. And that in and of itself starts to do a work. So how can people find out more about you? Well, I am all over the internet on every social media platform, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Just search my name, Kyle Winkler. My website is also available where I have my weekly teachings and podcast, and that's at kylewinkler.org. You can search for the Shut Up Devil Show in your favorite podcast app. And of course, the app, the Shut Up Devil app is available and the book too. So there's all kinds of stuff there where I I actually take the principles that I just talked about that God showed me in in my life of the Word of God and of the finished work of Christ. And in the Shut Up Devil book, I, I lead people through using those principles ultimately to shut down the 10 lies that are behind every battle that they face, the emotional and the psychological and even the spiritual battles. So kylewinkler.org, that'll get you connected with everything that I do. So good, Kyle. As we finish here, we'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. And I just pray for those who are tuning in right now, those who you have led to listen, whatever they're going through, Lord, whatever past regret, present struggle, may they know that it doesn't define them. May they know that if they've said yes to Jesus, that they are ultimately defined by you. And that is their ultimate victory. Lord, I pray that you would lead them to truths truths to help them shut down the lies that the enemy has put in their life, truths to help heal them and help deliver them, Father. And Lord, as you lead them to the truths, would you just do a work in their life from the inside out so that they would look back and realize that they are not the same person as they are, even now as they're listening. Father, we thank you for who you are, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kyle, thanks so much for being on the program. Loved your story. Thank you, Brian. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.